Chapter 7 of The People of the Black Circle by Robert E. Howard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The People of the Black Circle. Chapter 7 On to Yimsha. As mists vanish before a strong wind, the cobwebs vanished from Conan's brain. With a searing curse, he leapt into the saddle and the stallion reared neighing beneath him. He glared up the slopes, hesitated, and then turned down the trail in the direction he had been going when halted by Kemsa's trickery. But now he did not ride at a measured gait. He shook loose the reins and the stallion went like a thunderbolt, as if frantic to lose hysteria in violent physical exertion. Across the ledge and around the crag and down the narrow trail threading the great steep they plunged at breakneck speed. The path followed a fold of rock, winding interminably down from tier to tier of striated escarpment, and once, far below, Conan got a glimpse of the ruin that had fallen, a mighty pile of broken stone and boulders at the foot of a gigantic cliff. The valley floor was still far below him when he reached a long and lofty ridge that led out from the slope like a natural causeway. Out upon this he rode, with an almost sheer drop on either hand. He could trace ahead of him the trail and made a great horseshoe back into the river-bed at his left hand. He cursed the necessity of traversing those miles, but it was the only way. To try to descend to the lower lap of the trail here would be to attempt the impossible. Only a bird could get to the river-bed with a whole neck. So he urged on the wearying stallion until a clink of hoofs reached his ears, welling up from below. Pulling up short and reining to the lip of the cliff, he stared down into the dry river-bed that wound along the foot of the ridge. Along that gorge rode a motley throng, bearded men on half-wild horses, five hundred strong, bristling with weapons. And Conan shouted suddenly, leaning over the edge of the cliff, three hundred feet above them. At his shout they reined back, and five hundred bearded faces were tilted up towards him. A deep, clamorous roar filled the canyon. Conan did not waste words. "'I was riding for gore!' he roared. "'I had not hoped to meet you dogs on the trail. Follow me as fast as your nags can push. I'm going to Yimsha, and—' "'Traitor!' The howl was like a dash of ice-water in his face. "'What?' He glared down at them, jolted speechless. He saw wild eyes blazing up at him, faces contorted with fury, fists brandishing blades. "'Traitor!' they roared back wholeheartedly. "'Where are the seven chiefs held captive in Peshkari?' "'Why, in the governor's prison, I suppose,' he answered. A bloodthirsty yell from a hundred throats answered him, with such a weaving of weapons and a clamor that he could not understand what they were saying. He beat down the din with a bull-like roar and bellowed, "'What devil's play is this? Let one of you speak, so I can understand what you mean!' A gaunt old chief elected himself to this position shook his tulwar at Conan as a preamble, and shouted accusingly, 
You would not let us go raiding Peshkari to rescue our brothers!' "'No, you fools!' roared the exasperated Sumerian. "'Even if you'd breached the wall, which is unlikely, they'd have hanged the prisoners before you could reach them.' "'And you went alone to traffic with the governor!' yelled the Afghuli, working himself into a frothing frenzy. "'Well?' "'Where are the seven chiefs?' howled the old chief making his tulwar into a glimmering wheel of steel about his head. "'Where are they? Dead!' "'What?' Conan nearly fell off his horse in his surprise. "'I dead!' Five hundred bloodthirsty voices assured him. The old chief brandished his arms and got the floor again. "'They were not hanged!' he screeched. A Wazuli in another cell saw them die. The governor sent a wizard to slay them by craft. That must be a lie, said Conan. The governor would not dare. Last night I talked with him. The admission was unfortunate. A yell of hate and accusation split the skies. Ay, you went to him alone, to betray us. It is no lie. The Wazuli escaped through the doors the wizard burst in his entry, and told the tale to our scouts whom we met in Zaibar. They had been sent forth to search for you when you did not return. When they heard the Wazuli's tale, they returned with all haste to Gore, and we saddled our steeds and girt our swords. "'And what do you fools mean to do?' demanded the Sumerian. "'To avenge our brothers!' they howled. Death to the Kshatriyas! Slay him, brothers! He is a traitor!" Arrows began to rattle around him. Conan rose in his stirrups, striving to make himself heard above the tumult, and then, with a roar of mingled rage, defiance, and disgust, he wheeled and galloped back up the trail. Behind him and below him the Afghulis came pelting mouthing their rage, too furious even to remember that the only way they could reach the height whereon he rode was to traverse the river-bed in the other direction, make the broad bend and follow the twisting trail up over the ridge. When they did remember this and turned back, their repudiated chief had almost reached the point where the ridge joined the escarpment. At the cliff he did not take the trail by which he had descended, but turned off on another a mere trace along a rock-fault where the stallion scrambled for footing. He had not ridden far when the stallion snorted and shied back from something lying in the trail. Conan stared down on the travesty of a man, a broken, shredded, bloody heap that gibbered and gnashed splintered teeth. Impelled by some obscure reason, Conan dismounted and stood looking down at the ghastly shape knowing that he was a witness of a thing miraculous and opposed to nature. The Raksha lifted his gory head, and his strange eyes, glazed with agony and approaching death, rested on Conan with recognition. "'Where are they?' It was a racking croak, not even remotely resembling a human voice. "'Gone back to their damnable castle on Yimsha,' grunted Conan. They took the divi with them. 
I will go," muttered the man. I will follow them. They killed Gitara. I will kill them. The acolytes, the four of the black circle, the master himself. Kill, kill them all. He strove to drag his mutilated frame along the rock, but not even his indomitable will could animate that gory mass longer where the splintered bones hung together only by torn tissue and ruptured fiber. "'Follow them!' raved Kemsa, drooling a bloody slaver. "'Follow!' "'I'm going to,' growled Conan. "'I went to fetch my Afghulis, but they've turned on me. I'm going on to Yimsha alone. I'll have the Divai back if I have to tear down that damned mountain with my bare hands.' I didn't think the governor would dare kill my headman when I had the divai, but it seems he did. I'll have his head for that. She's no use to me now as a hostage, but— The curse of Yazil on them, gasped Kemsa. Go, I am dying. Wait, take my girdle. He tried to fumble with a mangled hand at his tatters and Conan, understanding what he sought to convey, bent and drew from about his gory waist a girdle of curious aspect. "'Follow the golden vein through the abyss,' muttered Kemsa. "'Wear the girdle. I had it from a Stygian priest. It will aid you, though it failed me at last. Break the crystal globe with the four golden pomegranates. Beware of the master's transmutations. I am going to Gatara. She is waiting for me in hell. Ay, Yaskilos Yar! And so he died. Conan stared down at the girdle. The hair of which it was woven was not horsehair. He was convinced that it was woven of the thick black tresses of a woman. Set in the thick mesh were tiny jewels such as he had never seen before. The buckle was strangely made, in the form of a golden serpent head, flat, wedge-shaped, and scaled with curious art. A strong shudder shook Conan as he handled it, and he turned as though to cast it over the precipice. Then he hesitated, and finally buckled it about his waist, under the Beccariot girdle. Then he mounted and pushed on. The sun had sunk behind the crags. He climbed the trail in the vast shadow of the cliffs that was thrown out like a dark blue mantle over valleys and ridges far below. He was not far from the crest, when, edging around the shoulder of a jutting crag, he heard the clink of shod hoofs ahead of him. He did not turn back. Indeed, so narrow was the path that the stallion could not have wheeled his great body upon it. He rounded the jut of the rock and came upon a portion of the path that broadened somewhat. A chorus of threatening yells broke on his ear, but his stallion pinned a terrified horse hard against the rock, and Conan caught the arm of the rider in an iron grip, checking the lifted sword in mid-air. "'Karim Shah!' muttered Conan, red glints smoldering luridly in his eyes. The Turanian did not struggle. They sat their horses almost breast to breast, Conan's fingers locking the other's sword-arm. 
Behind Kerim Shah filed a group of lean Iroxi on gaunt horses. They glared like wolves, fingering bows and knives, but rendered uncertain because of the narrowness of the path and the perilous proximity of the abyss that yawned beneath them. "'Where is the Devi?' demanded Kerim Shah. "'What's it to you, you Hyrcanian spy?' snarled Conan. "'I know you have her,' answered Kerim Shah. I was on my way northward with some tribesmen when we were ambushed by enemies in Shalazar Pass. Many of my men were slain, and the rest of us harried through the hills like jackals. When we had beaten off our pursuers, we turned westward, toward Amir Jehun Pass, and this morning we came upon a Wazuli wandering through the hills. He was quite mad, but I learned much from his incoherent gibberings before he died. I learned that he was the sole survivor of a band which followed a chief of the Afghulis and a captive Kshatriya woman into a gorge behind Kurum village. He babbled much of a man in a green turban whom the Afghuli rode down, but who, when attacked by the Wazulis who pursued, smote them with a nameless doom that wiped them out as a gust of wind-driven fire wipes out a cluster of locusts. How that one man escaped, I do not know, nor did he. But I knew from his maunderings that Conan of Gore had been in Kurum with his royal captive. And as we made our way through the hills, we overtook a naked Galzai girl bearing a gourd of water, who told us a tale of having been stripped and ravished by a giant foreigner in the garb of an Afghuli chief, who, she said, gave her garments to a Vendian woman who accompanied him. She said you rode westward." Karim Shah did not consider it necessary to explain that he had been on his way to keep his rendezvous with the expected troops from Sakandaram when he found his way barred by hostile tribesmen. The road to Gurashah Valley through the Shalazah Pass was longer than the road that wound through Amir Jahun Pass but the latter traversed part of the Afghuli country which Karim Shah had been anxious to avoid, until he came with an army. Barred from the Shalazar road, however, he had turned to the forbidden route, until news that Conan had not yet reached Afghulistan with his captive had caused him to turn southward and push on recklessly in the hope of overtaking the Sumerian in the hills. "'So you had better tell me where the Devi is.' suggested Karim Shah. We outnumber you. "'Let one of your dogs knock a shaft, and I'll throw you over the cliff,' Conan promised. "'It wouldn't do you any good to kill me, anyhow. Five hundred Afghulis are on my trail, and if they find you've cheated them, they'll flay you alive. Anyway, I haven't got the Devi. She's in the hands of the Black Seers of Yimsha.' Tarim swore Kerim Shah softly, shaken out of his poise for the first time. Kemsa, Kemsa's dead, grunted Conan. His master sent him to hell on a landslide. And now get out of my way. I'd be glad to kill you if I had the time, but I'm on my way to Yimsha. I'll go with you, said the Turanian abruptly. Conan laughed at him. Do you think I trust you, you Hyrcanian dog?" "'I don't ask you to,' returned Karim Shah. "'We both want the Devi. You know my reason. 
King Yezdegerd desires to add her kingdom to his empire, and herself in his seraglio. And I knew you, in the days when you were a hetman of the Cossack steppes. So I know your ambition is wholesale plunder. You want to loot Vendia, and to twist out a huge ransom for Yasmina. Well, let us for the time being, without any illusion about each other, unite our forces, and try to rescue the Divi from the Seers. If we succeed and live, we can fight it out to see who keeps her." Conan narrowly scrutinized the other for a moment, and then nodded, releasing the Turanian's arm. Agreed. What about your men? Karim Shah turned to the silent Iraqzai and spoke briefly. This chief and I are going to Yimsha to fight the wizards. Will you go with us, or stay here to be flayed by the Afghulis who are following this man? They looked at him with eyes grimly fatalistic. They were doomed and they knew it, had known it ever since the singing arrows of the ambushed Dagozai had driven them back from the pass of Shalazar. The men of the Lower Zaibar had too many reeking blood-feuds among the crag-dwellers. They were too small a band to fight their way back through the hills to the villages of the border, without the guidance of the crafty Turanian. They counted themselves as dead already, so they made the reply that only dead men would make. We will go with thee and die on Yimsha. Then in Krom's name let us be gone, grunted Conan fidgeting with impatience as he started into the blue gulfs of the deepening twilight. My wolves were hours behind me, but we've lost a devilish lot of time." Karim Shah backed his steed from between the black stallion and the cliff, sheathed his sword, and cautiously turned the horse. Presently the band was filing up the path as swiftly as they dared. They came out upon the crest nearly a mile east of the spot where Kemsa had halted the Cimmerian and the Divi. The path they had traversed was a perilous one, even for Hillman, and for that reason Conan had avoided it that day when carrying Yasmina, though Karim Shah, following him, had taken it, supposing the Cimmerian had done likewise. Even Conan sighed with relief when the horses scrambled up over the last rim. They moved like phantom riders through an enchanted realm of shadows. The soft creak of leather, the clink of steel marking their passage, then again the dark mountain slopes lay naked and silent in the starlight. End of chapter 7